0: time for the outspoken cyclist your weekly conversation about bicycles cyclists trails travel advocacy the bike industry and much much more you can subscribe to our weekly podcast at outspokencyclist.com or through your favorite podcasting app to listen anytime now here's your host diane jenks
1: And welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. Thanks for joining me today. Today's episode is about one man and his life as told in a new documentary as well as a new biographical novel. Marshall Major Taylor is a name so many of us know, yet, what do we really know about the man? Todd Gould is an Emmy Award winning producer and author who lives and works in Bloomington, Indiana. He's also the executive producer of Major Taylor, Champion of the Race, a one-hour documentary that will air Monday, February 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on WTIU, Bloomington, Indiana's PBS station. It will also stream on your PBS Passport app and be available later on this spring on most PBS stations around the country. Todd will be with me to talk about the film in a moment then sometimes inspiration at a young age ends up being the direction of your entire life. Such is the case for John Howard, one of the most successful cyclists of our time. Among some of his feats, John won a gold medal at the 1971 Pan Am Games Road Race as a member of the U.S. Army cycling team. He took first place at the 1981 Hawaiian Ironman, raced in three separate Summer Olympics, and came in second in the inaugural Race Across America in 1982. He set a land speed record at the Bonneville Salt Flats in 1985 that stood for 10 years. And of course, he is a member of both the bicycling and triathlon halls of fame. So what drives someone to achieve this kind of success? In John's case, it was the story of Marshall Major Taylor, the talented and ambitious black cyclist who overcame intense racism to become a world champion at the turn of the last century. John will be with me in the second part of the show. Major Taylor was not only one of the greatest cyclists and athletes to ever compete, he was a gentleman and a pioneer, navigating a world that didn't want African-American athletes to survive, let alone thrive. As you will hear in my conversation with Emmy award-winning producer Todd Gould, Major Taylor's story is a timely and fascinating tale that needs to be heard. Hi, Todd. Welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest today. How are you and how's Indiana?
2: Uh, it's wonderful. Yeah, the weather's uh, starting to get a little warmer and it's uh, the buds are starting to come out of the trees. So that's really good.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure we're there yet. I, I, my husband said he saw daffodils this morning on the way to work, but I, other than that, I don't know. So yeah. I want to talk about your documentary, Major Taylor, Champion of the Race. Uh, it's airing on February 26th on your PBS station, which is WTIU.
2: That's correct. Right? In, in, in
1: Bloomington. In Bloomington. Uh, we will let people know at the end of our conversation how they can stream it. And eventually it'll be on all of the PBS stations or through Passport. So let's talk about the title first, because I imagine that it has sort of a double meaning to it. Champion of the race. It's, it's kind of a very clever title. We all, most of my listeners know who Major Taylor was, but go ahead. Tell me about the title and how you decided upon that.
2: Well, you know, I think that, um, one of the things that stood out to me a lot about Major's story uh, was what an amazing, uh, not only, not only just an amazing cyclist, an amazing athlete, certainly he was all of those things. And he set 20 world records and, and did all kinds of amazing things in the world of of track cycling. Uh, but what really impressed me was how, how he negotiated for greater social and economic opportunities for African Americans uh, during the heart of Jim Crow America uh, during the, you know, right at the turn of the 20th century. So to to have him figure out how to gain greater agency, how to uh, negotiate contracts uh, to to compete in a number of these races, especially ones in in towns where he was not welcome uh, to, to stay and Lit, uh, to stay at a hotel or to eat at a restaurant. Um, you know, this was really the heart of Jim Crow America that he was trying to travel through. And yet he did it with such class and such style, um, that he was referred to as a race man. So that was, and of course, then if you're asking about the title, then of course, then I've just started thinking about race, racing, race relations. And, uh, and so I, I would, I would argue that champion of the race, uh, does have a double meaning and, and it's, and I think it's very appropriate on both parts.
1: <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think it's a great title, a great Thank title. You.
2: Thank so you.
1: where did you get a lot of the documentation in this film, uh, the information you've got some luminaries. Um, another one is on the show with you this week, John Howard, whose book is out right now, the black yes. cyclone, which is also right. about major Taylor. So this whole show is about major Taylor. Uh Yay. Tell us who who else is in the documentary, and then I want to go through a little bit of how you, what you're covering for, from the start to finish.
2: Of course, um, we we've had some really great response from people that uh, you know had heard a lot, had heard about Major's story, uh, had felt like maybe it was. Undertold, underrepresented. His story had been underrepresented, right? And uh, and I thought it was interesting that we had a number of different athletes and sports executives, um, n- not just uh, not just African American pioneers, but female pioneers, LGBTQ pioneers, uh, Hispanics, and you know, a lot of them ref- reflect back and say, you know, if Major Taylor hadn't done what he did. I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Right. So, so it's, it's more of, it's more than just about a, about a bunch of old stuff that happened a long time ago, but actually has a uh, rich legacy today that athletes, sports executives, uh, people in social activism, community activism, uh, all see those same themes pop up in major Taylor's story. And, and, uh, and I think it resonates with a lot of people that way.
1: Let me take a moment to reintroduce you, and then I want to talk a little bit about um, how the documentary is put together. We're speaking with Todd Gould. He's the executive producer of a new documentary on Major Taylor, Major Taylor Champion of the Race. It will air February 26th, which is Monday at 8 p.m. on WTIU out of Indiana, and you're going to be able to stream it after that or through your PBS Passport app, of which I hope everybody has one. big fan of PBS here.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks. We'll, we'll we'll take the plug. Um, There you go. (laughs) Yeah. So I just, just real quick to answer your question from before too, in terms of other luminaries, you know, we had uh, a number of, um, you know, gold medal uh, athletes, uh, top uh, folks at ESPN and the Washington post. Uh, We have uh, Jonathan Jackson, who is Jesse Jackson's uh, son. He's a congressman from Illinois, and he's pushing now currently to get a House Resolution Bill passed in Congress uh, to posthumously award Taylor with the Congressional Gold Medal. That's and great. It, it, so, yeah, so all these things sort of came together, and and uh, it's been wonderful for me to, to go to all these different places all over the United States to talk to people about this particular history, and the, each of them, in their own ways, working to try to remember Major Taylor and and his, not only just his life, but his legacy.
1: Well, uh, it's very interesting that you have original music. You have a mezzo-soprano who is actually voicing the documentary. You have, is it Brandon Marsalis?
2: Sure. So Branford Marsalis. Branford Marsalis. Marsalis. Come Uh, on, Diane. You know it's (laughs) Branford. Yeah. Three-time Grammy Award winner uh, is, is reading the passages from Major Taylor's autobiography, which is really terrific because that's a lot of, uh, first person accounts, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, uh, you know, I did this, I saw this, I felt this way that there's that, that kind of power in that. So Branford brings, uh, major Taylor's voice to life through the pe- reading of these passages in his autobiography. And then Marietta Simpson, who is the, the, uh, mezzo soprano from the Philadelphia Philharmonic. And she's the primary narrator, uh, for the film. And, uh, and then Tyron Cooper, who's a five-time Emmy Award winner in terms of musical so- score and soundtrack, is recording. He, Tyron and I are, are pals. We've, we've, been, we've been together for a long time, and he's, he's scored a number of different documentaries for me. So, uh, And they're all just wonderful. And, and each of these folks lending their time and their talents to this, uh, I think it comes back again to Major's story and uh, how people found his story to be so compelling and that they wanted to be a part of it. So I, I, I'm just the, I'm the conduit, you know, they, they just come through me to, to produce something really cool. And that, and that's what
1: I get that. I think it's awesome. I think it's just yeah. awesome. How long is the film?
2: 60 minutes. Oh, good. Yep. So I
1: mean, you, yeah. you can hardly tell his life in 60 minutes, but I'll bet you can pick up some of the best highlights of it.
2: Right. And, and, you know, initially I had started out trying to make this show a little longer, more like a feature length 90 minute film, but I think it was really more of a question of distribution and, uh, you know, we could get, say two thirds of the stations across America to pick up a 90 minute show, but we could get, you know, 98% of stations covering an hour show. So, so I, so I sort of opted to cut it down and, and, uh, and have it shared more widely across the U.S.
1: It also gives people the opportunity to get a taste of Major Taylor and maybe do a little more digging on their own. I mean, there's a lot out there now uh, and more and more all the time, it seems. So I want to take a moment to talk about your, I think it's the 29th, of course, February 29th leap year, Mm -hmm. that you're doing a question and answer session. It's sold out, I understand, at the the museum, uh, Indiana State Museum. What are you going to be talking about there, though?
2: Well, so it'll, it'll, we'll be screening the film uh, and that'll be sort of a premiere screening. And then, uh, and there's, there's several people in the documentary itself, uh, historians, uh, archivists, uh, Major Taylor's great granddaughter is coming in from Hawaii. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's great. And uh, so I thought it might be, rather than just do a Q&A with me as the TV producer, I thought it might be more interesting to watch the film and then here's, five people you just saw in the film, all up on stage, and you could ask any one of them questions, uh, you know, because I thought, well, maybe, you know, there's certain historians that are going to know a lot more about Taylor's history. There's some that just know about the history of uh, race relations at the time period. And then, of course, you've got Major's great granddaughter, and you could actually talk to somebody in Major Taylor's family <laughs> if you there wish. There you go.
1: There yes. you go. Well, a lot of people may or may not know that for all his successes and for all of the records he set and for the competition, his his abilities were really unmatched in the day the man bi- died penniless. Yeah, And I, I don't know how you end the film, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm pretty sure that um, it will make people very sad to know that.
2: Yes. I mean, and, and we, we explore that to a certain degree, you know, in terms of what happened for him financially and, and that kind of thing. I mean, a lot of it had to do with just the, the pressures of the great depression uh, were hitting everybody hard at, at, at the time. And major was just trying to reinvent himself once again. So he, he was done. He he, he was too old to race anymore competitively. So he opted in like a lot of the bicycle, uh, Manufacturers did at the time. They started switching over to automobile production, and and Taylor actually got a, a couple of patents on uh, what was essentially what we call today a steel belted radial tire for for automobiles, and so he had been working on that. But then at the same time that he was socking a lot of his own money investing in uh, the these car parts, at the same time uh, he's he's uh, got a weakened heart. He's got several diseases that are coming on. So there's a lot of physical ailments. And then that takes money and time and resources. And so uh, that and, you know, just simply a, a 15 year career of just horrible racist uh, practices that he had to face and overcome. And I think it just I think it just beat him up. You know, it was, it, I, mean, it was yeah. I, I think I, I, I would almost say I think that he would die of a broken heart because of of um, because I think he was trying so hard to push out greater opportunity, economic opportunity, social opportunity, cultural opportunity. And, uh, and he was just the tip of the spear. I mean, he, it was just him by himself. I mean, he didn't have teammates, you know, he, and he's the only black face in the crowd. And in the United States, that didn't bode well, it did not bode well for him because yeah. there were so many places that, that did not allow him to stay or to race or to eat. He ends up ultimately going over to, to Europe for a while, and and then there he's treated like a king, uh, because the, the the bicycle riders and racers in France just thought he was like this bronze Adonis, is what they called him. Uh, a lot a lot of a lot of words that were very uh, glowing you know, excited, you know. Um, And I think he found that agency there, you know, when he was touring around the the world, same thing in Australia for a period of time. But, uh, you know, it just, it it, was a difficult period of time in the late 20s and early 30s. And he was trying to make another go of it and was losing his money and his health as a result. So, So it is sad. But I will say that I couldn't end the documentary that way. You know, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So, so what? What I tried to do in the last five, seven minutes of the show is just talk about legacy, and what's all the other things that are going on. Now you, you had mentioned to me earlier that you thought that, uh, you know, the guy is getting a moment now, right? He's getting he's getting a a place in the spotlight, and and there are a lot of efforts. Uh, you know, national bike rides, honor Major Taylor bike rides around the United States. I know there's a new initiative up in the Bronzeville district in Chicago where they're trying to restore some areas where Major Taylor had lived for a period of time. Uh, Certainly in Worcester, Massachusetts, they do a pretty good job of remembering him. Right. uh, With the statue and the street and the museum and a bunch of other things that are there in Worcester. So I I left it on that note, you know, with school children reading about him, right, with, uh, you know, museum exhibits and in a much more sort of uplifting tone, which I think that that's what, I would like to think that that's what Major Taylor would have wanted is to say, you know, let's look at the big picture and see not only just what you know I did as Major Taylor, right, but, but also what we, all of us together, white and black, coming together and, and making um, great opportunities happen.
1: Well, I really appreciate you making this film, and I think people are going to enjoy watching it. I'm looking forward to it. We've been speaking with Todd Gould. He's the executive producer of Major Taylor, Champion of the Race. It airs Monday night, February 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, WTIU out of Bloomington, Indiana's uh, PBS station. You'll pick it up through your passport, and then it'll become available on your PBS station nationwide sometime later this late spring. Thank you so much for making this film. Thank you so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. And I'm very excited that Major Taylor is getting his day.
2: Yay. Yep. That's, that's the goal, right? So, yeah. Thanks.
1: My thanks to Todd for not only joining me today, but for producing this film. And if you are inclined, let your representatives know that a congressional gold medal is a great idea, even posthumously, for the incomparable Major Taylor. The documentary, Major Taylor, Champion of the Race, airs tomorrow evening, February 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern on WTIU and streaming on your PBS Passport app. Find a link to the film at OutspokenCyclist.com or WTIU.org. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll speak with cycling great John Howard about his new book, The Black Cyclone A Hero the World Forgot. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. Mm We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. After 40 years of research, traveling worldwide for details about Major Taylor's life, John Howard's new book, The Black Cyclone A Hero the World Forgot, was just published. With access to historical documents, including an original copy of Major Taylor's autobiography, as well as traveling worldwide to delve into places where the cyclist competed and lived, John's biographical novel gives voice to Major Taylor, bringing him to life. Hi, John. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. It's a good time to have a talk with you. I'm so excited. We haven't seen each other or talked to each other in years. How are you? I'm doing
3: fine, Diane, and it's great to hear your voice after all those years. I think the last time uh, I saw you was in San Diego at at the uh, one, at a bicycle uh builders convention down in downtown
1: oh is that the one what was it brian bayless He's that's the one he put on i might well have been brian yeah wow that well was a long time
3: ago uh, yeah yeah that has been a while
1: well and you know i've spoken with uh people who have been working with you on certain things like denise for her land speed record and other people who who go to your school of champions and have been training with you. But now this is a little bit different. I want to talk to you about your new book, uh, Marshall Taylor and our Marshall major Taylor. And most people who listen to this show know who major Taylor was at least sort of peripherally, but let's, let's dive into it. The book is titled the black cyclone, a hero, the world forgot and I'm hoping that maybe we can unforget him. <laughs> so yes. what is it about Major Taylor that drew you to him? Because this has been a long time coming, this book.
3: It has. Um, Major Taylor was born in 1878, which happens to be the same date that my grandfather was, was also came into this world. So early on as a cyclist, I, I didn't follow the traditional, especially um Midwestern sports like baseball and and basketball, so much. My focus was on cycling. And from almost the earliest uh, readings, I I had an opportunity to read his Major Taylor's original autobiography. And I have a historical copy of it uh, today. But during that period, I started getting into cycling on a, a fairly serious level. And Major Taylor was my hero. to be perfectly uh, straightforward about that. I I revered him uh, and his his perspective of having to race as a black athlete in a period when it was very difficult to do that. Most people, most white people could not understand, nature's gift of speed, certainly to Major Taylor or other African-American athletes, uh, of which there were very, very few in the 1800s.
1: I like that turn of phrase, nature's gift of speed. It's one I haven't actually heard all at once. And it's it's really interesting because, in fact, I, I, he set uh, speed records. And as we know, many African-American runners and other athletes, set these amazing speed records
3: well it's it's a phenomenon that that can be traced uh uh i don't know how, how far back we want to trace it because it becomes a a racial issue very quickly when you sure. start looking at at the the reasons african americans are so gifted but it's it, it biologically it comes about from from a white muscle fibers these are the fast twitch fibers in the human body that allow athletes to be labeled slow or fast Uh, major taylor had a blend of both he had extraordinary capabilities as a sprinter but uh what is largely unknown is that he also was quite a good endurance athlete his sponsors, uh, which included Bertie Munger, his coach early on, and uh, Ivor Johnson, which was uh, an arms and cycling dealer back at that in that era, uh, wanted him to compete in the six-day race in Madison Square Gardens uh, in 1896. And they pushed that; they wanted him to show his versatility. Uh, he didn't have a long time to train for it and he was only 18 years old at the time. So he had a lot going against him, but his early earliest uh the uh, event that he 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 was trained for uh was trick riding and his coach Bertie Munger trained him to be the best trick rider and that would come in handy later on when when cyclists uh tend to want to put him in a box and bring him down to the pole line whereas other cyclists would be streamlining up at the top of the track to get away well he had to he had to maneuver himself out of those boxes which continually formed in uh mass start racing
1: so explain what a trick rider actually does well yes i really do
3: need to go back to the beginning uh early on uh taylor got his start from delivering newspapers and he did that on a bicycle uh early early uh, major taylor probably in his uh, eight nine ten years old uh so he developed some some strength early on and at some point he started doing trick riding. The family that more or less sponsored Major Taylor, the Southern family, a very wealthy railroad uh, family in Indianapolis, bought him a trick bike early on. And he demonstrated his considerable skill at riding that bike and doing things that a few people at the time were able to do i mean he could he could ride the bike while standing on the saddle and and one foot on the handlebars um he he could he could do wheel stands he could he could balance it in uh ways that it it would be impressive even today so out of that as i said he he became very adept at trick riding which would help him maneuver through the pack when when the chips were down and winning was everything and i think it's important to point out that cycling was uh, arguably the the biggest sport of the time there was also horse racing and boxing which which came in a close second and third but cyclists were the best paid athletes in the world at the time, they made money. Uh, not only did they make prize money, but they had salaries uh, from from uh, some of their sponsors. So it was a very rich sport. And I think you could say that it, in its heydays, uh, you went to uh, baseball games when all the seats at the bike track were sold out that gives you some idea of 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 the uh, impact that it had in those days before the motorcycle and the automobile and the airplane existed because we were we were driven to explore speed records that was a big part of of uh, the sporting discovery process where cyclists would pace behind When they weren't doing mass start racing, they would pace behind tandems, triplets, quads. These bikes provided uh, a measure of excitement for the public because they kept going faster and faster and faster. And with the advent of the the motorcycle platform, which of course evolved from bicycles, uh, the speeds became even faster. And these these contraptions were uh, uh, mounted to bicycles, such as the uh, a bike I have in my museum, uh, Orient Pacing Tandem. And that had a bell on the back for the, the final lap. Well, it was these tandems that originally were mounted with uh, Didion Beton motors little single cylinder motors from france and they were brought over by people like albert champion in crates and assembled on bikes like the uh the orient uh, which was a super sturdy bike of the of the day and uh the next thing we know we have what was known as moto cycles and motorcycles of course. Quickly developed into their own game, but for quite a long time, the primary objective of the moto cycle was to pace cyclists on the on the tracks and the velodromes of Europe. Immensely popular, it 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 brought cycling to another level. Uh, you have to remember that baseball, uh, boxing, horse racing, and uh, basketball. Football all came about and began competing for public attention. So, cycling up the ante one more time with the invention of of what we today would call motorcycles. So these bikes uh, always driven, or at least in the very beginning, uh, you'd have the captain who would steer the bike, and then you'd have the stoker who would operate. The motor and the rear. Well, it didn't take long before they they eliminated the 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 Stoger altogether, and the bike was was now a single. So that was that's sort of how the evolution occurred. And of course, a lot of the those inventions that, of course, the the pneumatic tire, the 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 spiral bevel gear, uh, which became the differential on the Model A Ford. All of these inventions started with bicycles and they brought uh, post-industrial revolution to uh, another level. And that's when we start seeing the the, um, the early automobiles and so forth. But I'm, I know I'm getting off track. Here. That's
1: okay. Let me take a moment to reintroduce you to listeners and then we're going to talk a little more about Major Taylor and how the, all of that sort of comes together. We're speaking with John Howard. I will not enumerate his accolades because they are many and over many many years John and I met back in 1985 or 86 uh when he came here in northeast ohio to do uh, a half ironman and he gave this really interesting um sort of workshop lecture in front of it and we became friends then I've known him so obviously a few years and he has done RAM and he has won the Ironman and he was our U.S. national champion umpteen times. Did you or did you not race for the Army? I, is that right?
3: Uh, that was one of the first things that I did, Diane. I I, I was uh, fortunately selected. Most of my company ended up in Vietnam. But uh, it was a e- period when we were, Evolving from the all-draft era in the, in the military to uh, the all-volunteer, and it was important for the, the the military services, and that included all the military services, to offer young men, because at the time young women didn't didn't participate,
1: right. uh,
3: in an athletic program, which would would so we were we were really the first sports advocates of them in the military and we had a a facility back in fort hamilton new york and on staten island and that was the first army's first real cycling team actually there was one in 64 as well with jack symes and a few other uh luminaries of the sport but 68 was the was the uh organization of all branches of the service and we all served and competed in bicycle racing and traveled to europe for the SISM games and uh represented our country in the pan-american games which uh we did well i won a gold medal in the pan-am games and my teammates took home three bronze medals so out of that we got to play for the next uh year and represent a few of us represented the u.s uh in the olympics in uh, munich germany
1: wow and that was that was a very interesting olympics that i do not really want to get into let's take a short break and we'll be back to talk with john howard some more you're listening to the outspoken cyclist We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks, and we're speaking with John Howard about his new book, The Black Cyclone, A Hero the World Forgot, the historical biographical novel about Marshall Major Taylor. Let's go back to Major Taylor for a second, because he was sort of forced to go to Europe in a way and race in Europe. Let's talk a little bit about the way he was treated as this amazing elite cyclist I had to have some sort of a jealousy piece to it, but things did not go well for him here in this country.
3: Well, Major Taylor was uh, the best cyclist the the I think the world had seen. I, I think uh, Artie Zimmerman might have might have had a uh, a hand in helping him. Bertie Munger certainly promoted him and and trained him. But there were few people who could argue with the level of speed that this man had. He, just to give you an example, on period equipment, he covered a kilometer in fifty-seven seconds, which today would be world record time. Now we we're, we're fairly certain that's a that's a rolling start, but if you can relate to a fifty-seven second uh, uh, kilometer. You can, those who race bicycles or have some understanding of track racing can understand just how fast that actually is. Uh, that was Major Taylor at, in his prime. Uh, he competed a very long time uh, from, I think, 1891, his first race. He was an absolute prodigy uh at age 13 his employer sam hay with hay and willett uh, cyclist on bicycle row in indianapolis bicycles were immensely popular in in the midwest and uh hay told him uh that he would like him to to show off his trick skills and promote the uh, bike shop in the process which he did and and his uh his (laughs) how the military came into this and major came into it is is somewhat of a a subject of debate but he had a military uniform a tight-fitting military uniform that hay wanted him to wear and that uniform earned him the nickname major so that was sort of the beginning of the major period. I could I could go on and do go on in the book, but there are very few real stories about exactly how he promoted the Hay and Willits bike shop. But it so happened that there was an important race that took place on the 4th of July. And of course, Taylor was... Doing his best to to do his tricks in front of the crowd, a huge crowd, thousands of people, um, because again, cycling was a very popular sport, and this was a this was a handicap race. And just by chance, uh, Tom Hay said to Major Taylor as he was cooling down from one of his exped- expeditions, he said, "Would you please?" Actually, it was more of an order. He said, You will ride this race. And Taylor was just astounded. He said, I, I could I could get hurt. I could I could hurt somebody. I I'm not trained as a bicycle racer. This is it's not a good idea. And and he started crying. He was 13 years old at the time. And uh Hayes said, Look, you don't have to finish, just start the race in the handicap group and go down a few blocks and 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 that's it you don't have to finish so when the when the race started taylor sure enough there was a crash very early in the race in the first turn and the 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 beginners uh were were not skilled cyclists at all and taylor realized he had to get out of there in a hurry so on this trick bike he rode as fast as he possibly could to make a long story short he won the race. He beat out Walter Marmon, uh, of who was the state champion, and Marmon actually supported him. He won the race, beat Marmon in a sprint, and and uh, uh, there was it was protested. How can this black kid win an important race such as this? This can't be. And the officials wanted to disqualify him. Marmon stood up for him. He said no. He beat me fair and square. He deserves the gold medal. Give it to him, and they did. Uh, Marmon, of course, went on to great fame and as a, as the with the Marmon Wasp and the and the great sedans they built. Uh, the the Marmon Wasp was the first winner of the Indianapolis 500. So um, on and on. There, there's a lot of stories like that. Uh, one of the one of the, f- the most enjoyable parts of the book, I think, is trying to explain all of the the various nuances of how the Industrial Revolution was manifesting itself to continually improve the mechan- mechanical inventions, such as the automobile and the Wright brothers and their role in developing the airplane. Uh, Major Taylor. Was had an engineering mind and he was fascinated by this technology and wanted desperately after his retirement to get into the motor age and and the automobile industry um, and wanted very much to compete in motor racing. Uh, Well, that didn't happen, but onward, uh, I, I apologize for getting ahead of myself. That's exactly how I do when I'm.
1: I know, John. I've known you a long time. <laughs> <laughs> right. But
3: I, okay. I think to describe uh, Major Taylor, he was an extremely enigmatic individual. It was a complicated era because he was a complicated man. He had a lot to deal with, not only with the intense racism, but he had to, he had to uh, on his shoulders, he represented African-American athletes and and uh, he did that extraordinarily well. Um, one of the, the the very first experiences that he had uh, after, well, I, I could describe the first experience. And, and early on, when he was trying his best to learn the new game of basketball, he, athletes of the era were very versatile. And he really wanted to learn basketball. Well, his buds, uh, there were about five of them, were ushered into the YMCA in downtown Indianapolis. And as they were coming into the building to sign up to learn the new prep game of basketball, uh, the director called him out. He said, son, you're uh, to one of the uh, white boys who was there he said your attendant is not allowed in this facility he will have to spend the rest of the time in the gallery watching you play and so they very reluctantly went through with that but in his autobiography uh major taylor refers back to that continually as the monster of prejudice and that was his first introduction uh, prior to that he led a very uh, uh safe and innocent life but very quickly he was transformed into a different world uh a world of bicycle racing long train rides to races training on dirt roads uh and and the persistence of 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 racism and and bigotry that would follow him for his entire career
1: and did did that racism force him to go to europe is that how it happened
3: it did but a couple of things prompted that and it wasn't easy everything in major taylor's life was complicated uh he was in savannah georgia we go into a great depth on this one uh because it happened uh, where he took a train ride to Savannah to get out of the cold weather so they, he could train and while he was in Savannah he had an encounter with the triplet yeah, again remembering that cycling was very very popular in the South uh Atlanta was one of the the, the real hot centers of of activity and some of the greats uh, like uh Bobby Walthour came out of Atlanta. So so the south was very big on cycling and major taylor had a a, a little run in with a triplet which was uh steered by uh a real i i no only way to put it sons of the confederacy uh who told him in no uncertain terms that They didn't want him to pace behind their triplet, and he proceeded to drop this triplet, which is not an easy thing to do, and and to show his power, he he literally rode away from them. Well, by the time he got back to his rooming house in Savannah, a note with a rock tied to it came crashing through the, 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 the window, and the note basically said, uh using the N-word, if you're not out of Savannah by sundown, you will be sorry. And he left promptly only to be uh to, to ride a race back, uh in the spring in Taunton, Pennsylvania, not far from Philadelphia. And he, you got to remember these guys were riding for a paycheck a big one so what happened is not clear but another rider who outweighed taylor by almost 50 pounds uh his name his name was uh becker uh was crowded on the on the uh track uh at the at the catch fence and it was a dirt track and taylor put him in there and and whether he did that on purpose or not is anybody's guess but i think it's safe to say that major taylor had a sort of jekyll and hyde personality when it came to his racing he took it very seriously so so what happened was uh, becker did not qualify but taylor did and as he was cooling down becker came up from behind him grabbed him by the neck and wrenched him off his bike his bike went sailing into the infield and he proceeded to strangle him to the point where he became unconscious for almost 15 minutes and if it hadn't been for the constable with a billy club he would have killed him right then and there so that actually prompted major taylor to to consider the uh uh, possibility of racing in europe he was in great demand after winning the world championship in in uh, 1899 uh, and also the american championship in 1898 so everybody wanted to see the world championship perform and 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 uh, in europe it was uh bring on the negro volant so they were ready to pay Major Taylor an extraordinary amount of money to bring him to Europe. Uh, Robert Coquel and uh, uh, Victor Briere uh, were the two promoters that that wanted Taylor, desperately wanted Taylor in Europe. But there was one big problem: Major Taylor was a Christian. He believed wholeheartedly that his power came. Through his maker, and that God rode with him every mile of the way, and he promised his mother on her deathbed that he would never race on the Sabbath, and that there's there is a, a, a Diane, indulge me. I want to read a quote here from Aeschylus, who was the father of Greek tragedy, and this, of course, is part of the book. Uh, a said even in our sleep pain that we cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of god and that quote essentially sums up the black cyclone the the whole gamut of of issues that major taylor had were essentially brought on by his strong belief that god was his power source and because of that you have a huge conflict and the conflict was that europeans race bicycles on sunday they go to the fans go to watch them race on sunday And the velodrome circuits of Europe were packed. In order to get Major Taylor to race in Europe, Coquel and Briere had to revise the contract, which originally would have paid Major Taylor close to three quarters of a million dollars in today's money. They, They revised the contract because he said, I will not race on the Sabbath. And because of that, they literally changed the entire structure of bicycle racing in Europe to see this man compete against Europe's best.
1: I, I'm telling you, do not tell the whole book. The book is just, just sounds fascinating. It sounds wonderful. Let let me just I want to wrap it up with a couple of things. Um, first of all, we're speaking with John Howard. He's the author of the book, The Black Cyclone, a hero the world forgot. And I want to get to the forgot part in a moment there's a documentary about major taylor that's going to be streaming february 26 out of indiana's pbs station and we'll have a link to that on the website you take uh you have a part in that what is your part in that documentary
3: i am a historical content provider i suppose you would say uh uh i will be on there and and that that um uh documentary is is a todd gould production uh i think todd is a marvelous uh, documentary filmmaker and it is headlined uh with marita coleman who is an uh, uh a wonderful uh, uh mezzo-soprano opera star And the voice of Major Taylor is 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 uh, voiced by Branford Marsalis, who is a wonderful saxophone player, as we all know. Uh, So so I think it's going to be a I have not seen it yet, so I don't know what my role is at this point. But okay. but I do know that I will be a part of the production.
1: All right. Well, here's what I want to wrap up before we tell listeners how to get. A copy of the book. Uh, I want to know how Major Taylor ended up dying the way he did, and which was pretty much penniless.
3: Well, it, again, the complexities, and and I I don't want, I can't go into too much detail. Uh, no, he came up with he was a brilliant inventor. In addition to everything else, Major Taylor had. uh, in the in the bicycle factory in Indianapolis with Bertie Munger, who 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 started the business, uh, and later with with uh, Ivor Johnson, he learned the trade of machinist. We had actually he got to deferment in World War One to to stay out of it, uh, on the basis of his machining skills, and we believe that he his first uh, uh, invention was this incredible spring wheel. Uh, which he invested heavily in, as well as uh, Fred Johnson, at Iver Johnson. Um, So what happened was that they were unable to secure a patent and somebody else essentially ripped it off. So uh, that was sort of the the spiraling downward uh, that occurred. And it it did not end well for Major Taylor, in spite of being the, one of the wealthiest uh, African-Americans in America, and one of the uh, highest paid athletes in the world, he essentially died penniless and was buried in a pauper's grave. Uh, it reminds me of the Amadeus story, if you've seen that film. Um Yeah. And and it it has that sort of blend to it. And yes, we do tell the rest of the story as as I think as best we can within the information. But I was very fortunate early in my uh interest level of, of Major Taylor to meet Sydney Taylor Brown, his daughter. And through Sydney, I traveled to Pittsburgh twice and made Hours of, of 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 taped interviews with sydney so that I could get what Paul Harvey called the rest of the story, and that's that's sydney's contribution to the book. Uh, I'm the only person alive at this point to have actually interviewed her. She died at 102. Wow! And I will say that there were there were a number of of pioneers who remembered Taylor like Alf Goulette, who I met uh on a sunny day in New Jersey. And and Alf also lived to be 102, believe it or not. And and he loaned Major Taylor his favorite bicycle for Taylor's final race, the old timers event in Newark in 1917.
1: Wow. What a great way to end this conversation. 1917. That was a long time ago. We've been speaking with John Howard. His new book is The Black Cyclone, A Hero the World Forgot. It's a story of Marshall Major Taylor. Uh, I think everybody who knows anything about the man or has heard anything will want to read the book. Clearly, you have done your homework and have conveyed it in this book. I, it's pretty exciting. Diane, one more thing that I would like to add. Um, unlike
3: the other excellent biographies on Major Taylor, uh, beginning with Andrew Ritchie and finishing uh, with Michael Kranish, uh, this is not a biography. This is a biographical novel. And unlike the other books, we actually give Taylor and his contemporaries voices. And I think that's the critical difference in understanding. And, and I feel that that uh, my co-author, Renee Maurer, and I can do that because of the research, the level of research that I've been doing for over 40 years. I've traveled to Paris. The, uh, the bibliothèque in Paris was a wonderful source of information, as was the uh, the Rum Library in Sydney, Australia. I, I traveled to Sydney to to uh, the, the cricket grounds to see, uh, of course, that track is long gone, as is the Parc du Prince's in Paris. But some of the places still have a sort of aura to them, and the microfiche labs are just full of information about Major Taylor. So from that and and my fabulous uh discussions with with sydney taylor brown i learned how her father actually lived and all of the of the issues that followed his retirement of course she was born in uh in the early part of the of the 20th century and it doesn't doesn't know that much about his early days but uh, to his credit major taylor came out with a wonderful autobiography that that uh, again tells the rest of the story
1: so if you're interested in getting a copy of the book it's majortaylorstory.com you can get it there you can probably get it in all the usual places but by all means support your local bookshop support uh the major taylor's story uh, project i think it's really an exciting book and i'm glad you wrote it congratulations on it and I I can't wait to see the documentary too, which is again, February 26th. It'll start streaming from WTIU in Indiana. John, thank you so much for talking with me and uh, for writing this book. I think it's really important.
3: Thank you, Diane. It's been a pleasure.
1: My thanks to John for joining me on the show today. You can get a copy of The Black Cyclone, A Hero the World Forgot at majortaylorstory.com. I think it's probably one you'll want in your cycling library. John also sent me a photo of the pacing tandem that he mentioned in our conversation from his collection, which you can find along with other links, photos, and a transcript of the show at OutspokenCyclist.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or X. And please feel free to leave a comment on our website too. So until next time, stay safe, stay well, and remember, there is always time for a ride. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page. Or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news in the world of cycling. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.